next stop on our, our path towards our path to city on a hill is faith. Um, the Lord has been showing us keys, 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 keys. The, the next key, and honestly, you know, we can't wait to get started. We have enough keys already, but, but faith is the key to everything in the kingdom. Um, you know, the Bible talks about done for you according to your faith, right? So no faith, no do. Little faith, little do. Big faith, big do. Faith is, is key to everything. And, and for the kind of calling card that the Lord wants to use us for, it's going to require substantial faith. Oh, no, we have it, right? It's, it's really maybe not so much gaining faith as it is overcoming doubt and overcoming experience and all those things. We have that faith. He's placed it inside of us. Now we have to have the boldness to exercise it. Let me, let me take you to Luke chapter 14, and this will be, um, I'll call this a bridge scripture from discipleship to faith. Luke 14.33, you'll be very familiar with it from the last set of sermons. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. And until this week, I wasn't even reading this scripture. You know, I was kind of moved past that for, for the faith discussion. But it kept popping in, into my head towards the end of the week. And I think what the Lord was trying to get me to see is that, that it's all our possessions. All of our possessions. The way I always read that scripture was, my money is your money, my house is your house. If you tell me to sell the house, you know, rich young ruler, give it all to the poor, come follow me, after, it's your house. You know, I'm not sure... I want to believe that I would do whatever he said, but it was always those things when I thought of possessions. But, but here's the way now in the context of faith that I want you to start to interpret that scripture. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. What about this possession? Doubt. Do you possess doubt? Seriously. I mean, I do. I'm wrestling with it. I have been for a long while. You've got to give it up. Can't, it can't be yours anymore. Unbelief. Got to give it up. Can't be yours anymore. How about this one? Fear. How about this one? Fear of man. What about this one? Your reputation. I'm going to my... We're having a junior high school reunion. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, you know what's funny? One of the people, it's, it's for every, I went to a, a, my, it was a junior high school, not a middle school. So it went seven, eight, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And the thing shows up on Facebook, I went to O.L. Smith Junior High when it was a junior high, not a middle school. And this whole big group came about. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I really want to go. You know, I'd have to go on a diet and have to rent a Cadillac. And, you know, I don't know if I really want to go. Had to get a wig, right? <laughs> Had to be a good one. And then one of the ladies from my class sends me a Facebook message and says, hey, would you say grace for us at the thing? And I'm like, hmm. Got to get a wig. Got to rent a candle. <laughs> anyway, it's like I want them to think that I'm the most successful. I am, by the way. I have the most beautiful wife, the most wonderful children, the dearest of friends that any person could have. But I want them to think that I'm the CEO of, you know, AT&T or something. And, and I'm not. I'm me. So what about my reputation? I, I remember, gosh, this wasn't, none of this was supposed to be in the sermon. I got a buddy, Norton. You might have heard some Norton stories over time. Norton's a pretty cool guy. 
um, we grew up together. He may be at the O.L. Smith reunion. And, uh, but Norton was like, when I lived in Dearborn, Teresa and I, we hung out with Norton and his wife. And, and they were other couple that had kids when they were very young. So, you know, they, we could hang out together. And, um, then we don't see Norton and his wife got divorced. And, you know, their life went on. And we moved away from Dearborn way out here. And, and we lost track of Norton. And then I got to be a Christian. And I'm over there at the Freedom Center. And during the worship, I'm the guy that jumps up and down and spins around and all this kind of stuff. And Norton moves. We lived on Lake Shannon at the time. Norton moves to Lake Shannon. And we start riding bikes together, like, you know, for two hours. We ride out through the dirt roads and stuff. And all I'm doing is talking about Jesus. All I'm doing is talking about Jesus. And Norton says, maybe I should come to your church. I said, Norton, you should come to my church. And he said, okay, I'll come on Sunday. And all of a sudden I thought, Norton don't know Christian Pat, jumping up and down, dancing and spinning around Pat. And I really had to struggle with my reputation. Am I going to be me? When Norton, now see, Norton, he's the bridge back to the old world, right? I want him to think I'm cool. They wouldn't think I was that cool. <laughs> and, and I really had to sit down and say, who are you? Who are you? Because when Norton comes to the church, are you going to be who you want Norton to kind of reflect back to your old world people? Or are you Pat who loves Jesus and you can't help yourself but jump up and down and spin around and look a fool? in front of the, the way you're worshiping God. And, you know, I'm proud to report that I looked a fool in front of Norton, and it didn't cost me a thing. But these are the things we have, these are the possessions, you know, I'm back now. <laughs> these are the possessions we have to, we're going to encounter. I can't keep my pride. I can't keep my fear of man. I can't keep my unbelief. I can't keep my doubt. Or I can't see God's vision. It won't, it won't, it won't manifest without those things. So we have to be ready to give up all our possessions. And the easy one might be your 401k or your, you know, your 15-passenger van because God said so kind of thing. Or your, you know, it wasn't a Yugo. Trust me, it was a very, very nice car. Um, that's my bridge scripture from disciple to faith. Okay, so what is faith? I mean, we all have a concept of faith. We're not, at least, you know, in the, in the world that I've been in, not been challenged a lot to really exercise and demonstrate biblical faith, you know, really faith-based, right? I've talked to you guys about in the, um, in the prophecy of the atonement, what would, what would be redeemed back to God based upon the offering and sacrifice of Jesus in the church, we talk about forgiveness of sins, right? That's a good one. I mean, you know, that's a really good one, forgiveness of sins. But if, if I stood, stand up a minute, turn around and look at the people. This is Keith for the recording. Now, I mean, you know Keith, and you know that he's born again, and you know by the fruit that's off his branches that he's a Christian man. But if you just looked at him, if I had him pray a prayer after me, you wouldn't know if he was saved or he wasn't saved. It's easy. It's safe, right? Pray a prayer. Oh, Keith got saved. Well, Wow, God is real. Okay, sit down. The point is, if, if Keith's hand was all gnarly, and, and I said, no, Keith, you prayed a prayer, and you gave your life to Jesus. He's given his life to yours. Praise God that all your sin has been forgiven. It's been, it's been transferred to Jesus' account. His righteousness has been imputed to you. But, but this is in it, too. This is in it, too. So let's just get that hand straightened out. Well, you can see that. That requires 
more faith, to, de to declare the key isn't supposed to have a withered hand. Look, it worked too. It should go like this. <laughs> but see, that makes, you have, to, you have to have faith because you could see if it happens, glory. You could see if it doesn't. So it doesn't get talked about too much. Or how about this? Oh, man, I've been just struggling with, I hate to say depression because somebody might struggle with depression, but seriously, Jesus bought for you shalom. Part of what happened to him, the whippings and the stuff, it says by his chastening, we have our well-being, Hebrew word shalom. He bought it for us. Well, how come I'm depressed? Because somebody's lying to you, because there's some heart stuff that you've been hurt that needs dealt with, but you have it in Jesus. So when we talk about faith, it has to be the faith that brings to bear exactly what the scripture says against exactly what the scripture says. We can't be happy if somebody got saved and they, we believe that they got their sins forgiven, but their withered hand is still withered. See, when the, 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 the healings and stuff are for... Now, this is the Bible according to Pat. I, I could support it scripturally, but I'll just give it to you. You can take it for what it's worth. Healing, I think, has two purposes. One, for the church... Jesus bought it for us, uh, that, that we can be redeemed to our youth, that we can have vigor into our old age, that, that we have, he's carried away our infirmities and our sicknesses. It's ours. He bought it for us. We might as well unwrap that gift and have it. The second is for the sake of the gospel. Jesus said, if you don't believe on these words that I say, believe on these works that I do. So they're to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom to people who don't believe. You give them the words, Jesus, I'm the Messiah. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Here's the Pharisees. No, you're not. Here's Jesus. Yes, I am. Here's the Pharisees. No, I'm not. Here's the demons. Yes, he is. Right? Okay, you don't believe me. Bring the guy with the withered hand. Wait, wait for the Sabbath so I can really rub it in your face. Bring the guy with the withered hand. In my name, you know, be not withered or whatever. And, and he gets healed and he gets healed. And now it's a, tough, it's a tough thing for them not to believe. Now, they might still not believe, but at least... They had a demonstration of the kingdom, and they had the, the proclamation of the kingdom. So two purposes. One, because it's ours. He bought it for us. We might as well just have it. Second, because we're commanded to proclaim the gospel. And if you look in the book of Acts, it's affirmed with power, with the kingdom power to, to, to back up the words. We don't want just words. We want words and power. Okay. So, Wow. <laughs> I've talked a lot. I haven't even started yet. I, I was pretty sure I'd be shorter than Denny and Mindy. I'm not, I'm not quite as confident. If that, if that bet is up in Vegas, don't take it right now. Okay, so what is faith? Well, scripturally, Hebrews gives a definition. One of the few places you get nice, clean definitions. I'm going to mix in a couple of words here, kind of like the amplified version. I'm going to read you from the New American Standard. I'm going to amplify from the King James because I actually, Larry, like that one better for this scripture. Now, faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were, re were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made of things which are visible. Okay, faith is the assurance of the, or the substance of things hoped for. And it's the uh, conviction or the evidence of things not seen. It, it closes the gap between my youth isn't all the way restored yet, but it's going to be. Well, what's that? It's faith. 
and faith bridges the gap. And faith is how God moves with grace to bring about that which he's declared to be true. Okay. In John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, you remember doubting Thomas, right? You know, unless I put my fingers in the holes, I'm not going to believe. Imagine that. He's with Jesus three years, right? And Jesus tells him what's going to happen, and it happens, and, and he's resurrected, and Thomas is like, yeah, I ain't buying it. Well, turns out he got to put his finger in a hole. I don't think he actually did it, but here's what happened. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. Faith, right? I mean, I, I imagine Thomas got saved and everything, but he w- it would have been better if he would have trusted and believed having not seen. So let me give you just a kind of an expanded faith definition. When, when we are choosing faith, we are choosing to believe who God is. We are choosing to believe what he says. We are choosing, and I, I didn't put scriptures in all this so that I wouldn't be longer than Denny and Mindy last week, but all this is scripturally true. It, it, it means that we have chosen to be passionate in our pursuit of God. That's faith. That we would be faithful in our obedience to God. This is a negative, but faith is not apathy. I'm faithful. Mm, you're not. You need to be. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking to anybody in particular, but generally, you know, faithful is, is pretty substantial. So apathy is not an expression of faith. A- apathy is not covered over by grace. Apathy, remember the, the connection between disobedience, translated from the Greek word that brings us the English word apathy or apathetic? How a Christian lives her or his or her life defines faith or not faith. How we live our life is a life of faith, walking by faith. What does God say? What does he declare to be true? What do we believe? How do we respond? All of that. Every second of our life can demonstrate faith or not faith. But faith is not like, it's not blind and it's not stupid. I, I went uh, a, a while ago, and I talked about that, where, where somebody might say, well, you just have blind faith in this fairy tale Jesus of yours. And our faith isn't blind at all, and it's not stupid. Our faith recognizes this guy who historically has been proven to have existed, to have done miracles that nobody could do that wasn't God, that didn't have God performing those miracles, who predicted his own death. He predicted the manner of his death. I mean, and he didn't commit suicide. It'd be easy if you said, hey, I'm going to, you know, blow my brains out on Friday and you did it. That's one thing. But when you predict the manner of your death, but somebody else has to do it, that's pretty good. He not only predicted that, he predicted that he wouldn't stay dead. He predicted how long he'd stay dead and then we'd stop being dead. He did it. We don't have blind faith. We have very, very well-informed faith. Okay? So, and faith isn't stupid, right? You know, the devil tried to use scripture to tempt Jesus in his faith to do things that weren't faithful. It's like the difference between, is it true? Yes. Is it truth? No. Is it true you could turn rocks into uh, bread because you're hungry? Yes. Is it truth that you should? No. Because the motive behind it from Satan to Jesus isn't to satisfy his hunger. It's to deny God in some way. 
to provoke God. Does, doesn't it say that the angels jump off this thing and the Bible says that you won't stub your toe or something. The angels will take care of you. Ah, it says don't provoke God. Don't test God. You know, so there's truth and there's truth. Faith isn't stupid. It'll be called stupid if we really, really, really press into faith. People will say you're stupid. And then we'll heal them. You have to start, I mean, really start to, start to so, be a dry sponge and soak this in. Faith is a thing. It can be given to you. It can be taken from you. It can increase within you. It doesn't take much to be very powerful if you trust it. By, I don't know if that was a great statement, but, but faith is a thing. It's a substance. That's what the scripture says, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is from God. And, and this is, I'm wrestling a little bit, but I'm not that place in the, in the ser- sermon series yet, so God will enlighten me when it's time. I don't know how to gen up faith. I don't know how to generate faith because it's not from me. It's from him. So, so there's something in there. I just don't know what it is yet, but it's okay. I'm not to that point yet. I promise you I'm going to know when we get there. What was that? Huh? I just promised you I would know something I don't know. What was that? Faith, say, good job, Pat. <laughs> Your faith will be opposed. And it's going to be opposed by the, the, the world. It's going to be, op- <laughs> isn't it funny? It's going to be opposed by the person you're inviting out of a wheelchair. Do it anyway, right? It's going to be opposed by the world. It's going to be opposed by the enemy. It's going to be opposed by your experience, right? It will be. You have to decide. Which one is more true? Your experience? Is it true? Does my knee hurt? Yes. Is that true? Should it hurt? Is it going to keep hurting? No. That's true. Amen. Pulling that rope. Culture is going to push back against your faith. And and our very flesh is going to push back against our faith. So we need to be ready to say no to all those forces that are going to try to keep us from the place of faith that will allow God to release his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven i guess faith the thing this will probably be next week's closing thing but faith must be chosen you have to choose faith choose it you have to choose it we're going to arrest doubt at some point during this conversation about faith we're going to arrest it we're going to consider it not of us it's a lie it's from the pit of hell. It's from the enemy. It's a flaming arrow. And we're just going to choose that we have no doubt in us. So whenever doubt arises, we're just going to decide it's not us, and we're going to put it down just like any other bad thought that needs to be put down. When I say it must be chosen, this is kind of what some of those choices look like. It looks like Sherry coming up here and telling us about, I have this many bills due, and I have this much money with which to address those bills. What was her response? Okay, God. And then what happens? She stands in faith. God brings about resources. Good deal. Done. God takes care of her. Why? Because, see, she's not the source of her provision. God is the source of her provision. That provision comes by faith. She exercised faith. God provided. Or... The Greens, when they adopt, I got two Greens. When they adopted Claire, you all know Claire, right? Now, I, you know, I might not get your story exactly right, but I'll get it close to right. So, so there's this 
young girl who's been in the orphanage, bad orphanage in China, adopted by you know an older couple in Washington State, I believe, and turns out to be more than they bargained for. So they're going to do what's called a disruption. They're, they're going to not have her as their child anymore. And, you know, if you're Kim Green, you're plugged into all the adoption stuff, right? And so she hears about this kid that might need a family, and they start praying. And then she sees in a dream, painted on the wall or something, the word K-L-A-I-R-E. She wakes up. She writes her dream down. She's praying, Lord, I don't know what that means. Later in the day, they find out that this girl they've been praying about, her name is Claire. And, oh, by the way, it's not spelled with a C. It's spelled with a K. Well, that was a pretty good indication that the Greens are going to expand their family, right? <laughs> it wasn't now an international adoption, so it wasn't crazy stupid expensive, but I think it was $5,000, right? Like 5000 bucks. They don't have 5000 bucks, but they said yes. When they saw what God said, by faith, they said yes, because the provision is for him to do. And within, I think it was 48 hours, some guy they'd never heard of in their life calls them up and says, hey, you don't know me, but God said I'm supposed to give you $5,000. See, faith says, yes, Lord, and you wait for the provision. Worldly wisdom says, well, if God wanted us to adopt that little girl, he would have provided the money for us. Faith usually comes before the provision. Just as the testing comes, you know, faith needs to come before the provision. Or, or their vehicles, right? Here's a family who's adopted 16 children. 12 of them are home with them right now. Two of them, praise God, are in heaven with the Lord. And, and their two vehicles within a few days of each other die to the place where it, it's bad money, good money after bad if you try to fix them. Now, Ben is a traveling salesman, right? I suggested Amish, a good, healthy <laughs> colt and a, and a black buggy. You know, no transmission in there. All you need is a good whip. God thought better for him than that. My suggestion was Amish. But anyway, so um, they could do this. God, who, who are you that would bring us to this place of filling our house full of children and no way to take them to the doctor if they get sick? God, who's that? That's the guys in the wilderness, right, in Israel. No. Huh, well, this will be interesting. One car is interesting. Two cars is really interesting. And he, did, he left off part of the story. The first thing that they got from God was somebody said, I'll give you $5,000 to help you to buy a car. Am I right? Am I right? And then comes, I don't know which came first, then comes this beautiful, awesome car from God, right? Better than you had before, right? Yeah, upgrade, right? And then comes the van. Better than you had before, upgrade, newer, nicer, beautiful, so I'm guessing they called the $5,000 guy back. You're not going to believe it. God gave us a car and a van. $5,000 person says, keep the $5,000. Maybe they'll need an oil change. So they went with lesser car, lesser van, better car, better van, $5,000. Why? Because God's their provider. Amen. And, and why else? Because they weren't, although the whiny guy in the wilderness did get to drink some water. But... The point is we don't want to be that guy, right? We want to be the guy who demonstrates faith because God has said that he's going to take care of us. He's glorified in taking care of us. Okay. So let me take a minute and describe for you not faith, right? There's faith, the hope, the substance, the evidence. This is not faith or unbelief. And it's important that we understand because I think generally, maybe I'll just speak for myself, you know, over the course of my life with the Lord, I've been generally casual about faith. 
I believe Jesus, you know, in the way you need to believe to be saved. But I haven't been really concerned that I believed God in the ways that the scripture would not even encourage me, would demand for me to, to believe. So I'll say I've been casual with faith. Not faith is unbelief. Look at this. Unbelief wrecks your relationship with God. Romans eleven twenty through 22. Now, I, I think these references may all go back to the guys in the wilderness, but let's see. Uh, Romans 11, quite right. They were broken off. These are Jews. Imagine this. This is, this is a grapevine. That's a branch. There's a branch, right? Branch broken off. Branch grafted in. Branch broken off. Branch grafted in. The vine represents the Lord. The branch represents people, right? Broken off, not in the Lord. Grafted in, in the Lord. Okay, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith or belief. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jews were the natural branches of that vine, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So all of this cutting off is in the context of unbelief. Grafted in, you have relationship with God. Cut off, you don't have relationship with God. Unbelief severs relationship with God. That's a pretty big deal. We shouldn't be casual about faith. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you, not be in any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So from God's, from God's perspective, unbelief is evil. It's actually evil if we don't choose to believe what God says. And then a little further in Hebrews chapter 3, so we see, again, this is the, the guys in Israel, but it's Hebrews, it's New Testament, it's warnings for us. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So faith or believing creates a relationship with God. Not faith or unbelief destroys relationship with God. So we need to be very, very serious, right? It says fear in one of those scriptures fear that you not have an evil, unbelieving heart. So what we need to do is we need to embrace faith. And when it challenges us, we need to embrace it even harder, such that we don't fall into unbelief. I think in, in a lot of areas, I'll again speak for myself, I'm climbing out of unbelief. I'm not holding on to belief. There are so many areas that, that I just didn't believe for. And, and I am changing. I am repenting, and I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind because I'm deciding that God's word is true and my experience is false if it's compared to God's word that's true. Uh, give you some examples of ways that faith is, is expressed and how we will be challenged to express faith. Um, one way is saving faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You're all familiar with this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, and, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, as re, not as a result of works, so that no one may, may boast. So anyone that comes into relationship with God comes into relationship by faith. It can't be by your goodness, because then you could boast that you were, you, know, you were able to be good enough, as holy as God himself. 
So that, that gate is not open to us. The gate that's open to us is faith. So there's a thing called saving faith. And Romans 10, 17, I think it's an okay principle, but I think this verse is very often misquoted. It's out of context. And that is, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of or concerning Christ. Now, maybe your faith will increase if you read the Bible, but that's talking about saving faith. If you look in the context of Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, for whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, that's, that's what this is. And what Paul is trying to say to us here is that saving faith, the faith that brings you into a reconciled relationship with God comes from hearing and hearing the word concerning Christ. So when, when you see in the book of Acts, they preached Christ, that's a, that's a reference to they preached the gospel, the Messiah, the one who was sent on behalf, who was offered on behalf of you and your sin debt. So faith comes from hearing. You can't have saving faith without having heard the word concerning Christ. You can't get saved without the gospel. That's my belief. Now, I, I have some experiences with people that challenge that belief. Not that they challenge me, it challenges my belief. But according to the scriptures, and that's what I will always preach, is that short of the gospel, you can't get saved. You have to hear the word concerning Christ to get saving faith. Okay, another way is healing faith. And this is interesting, and you know what's cool? I almost took this scripture out. I wanted to replace it because this one was too good. Let me read you the scriptures, and I'll give you the explanation. Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, probably the word concerning Christ, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. Faith to be healed. But guess what? I've got to sort this out a little bit. Made well, in English, is the Greek word sozo. The alternate translation that they could have used instead of made well was saved. He was saved. He was made well. He was saved. He was, it was like too much. So I went looking to see, it's not too much, it's exactly what it is, but I went back looking to see, let me find some place where faith and the word healed are together, not made well or saved, and I couldn't find it. I mean, there are, but they're, they're not in that same context of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting that, that here, it could be that he was saved from being lame. That would be a legitimate thing. Or it could be that he was saved because he heard the word concerning Christ, and he got the whole package, right? He was saved. He was sozo. That's the Greek word, sozo. Other places, the word saved is translated from the Greek word soteria. That implies Sins forgiven, saved. But sozo supply, supplies, what's the word I'm looking for? Implies, thank you. Implies a broader spectrum of what you receive, healed, saved, and delivered. So there's saving faith, there's healing faith. Another one is faith for provision. Matthew six eleven, the, the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread, today. Now give me a week's worth, I bought a freezer, it's this day our daily bread. In um, the wilderness, God provided manna for the people while they were wandering around the wilderness to eat. And if you know the story, they could go collect up as much manna as they wanted. They could eat as much as they, as they could eat. And then 
if they saved some for tomorrow, it would be rotten tomorrow. Except for on the Sabbath, God would let them collect two days worth the day before the Sabbath. But the reason he did that is he didn't want them to, to create this huge freezer full of manna, and then they don't need God for the next six days because they can rely on their supply. What, what God wants is for us to rely on him moment by moment by moment by moment. And that's why the Lord's Prayer doesn't say, Lord, fill up my freezer so I have no worries for the next year. It says, give us this day our daily bread, and it will feed me, and tomorrow I'll come to you again because I'll have consumed yesterday's bread. And I will need you every single day. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. What if my tunic rips? I might need a second tunic. It would be wise if I took two tunics. And unless you're going to you know, call me to have to fast while I'm out there, a little bread would be nice. What's he saying? Nope, you're just going to have to starve. He's not. He's saying, if you load up your sack and go, then you're good without me. I want you to go and need me every step of the way, but you're not going to be with me. Right. Even a better deal. More faith, right? Because somebody's going to feed you when you get to their town. Why? Because God's going to see that they do. They don't know you. They never met you before. You're going to proclaim the kingdom, and they're going to give you food. And if your tunic is ripped, guess what? They're going to give you a tunic as well. Same principle. He wants us to depend on him every minute, every minute, every minute. Matthew 6, I'm going to, I'm going to push 24 and 25 and 33 and 34 together for the sake of time. No one, you've got to hear this first part because it, it's the basis for all the rest of Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. God and wealth is an example. It could be God and any other kind of need that you have, but the example he's using is wealth. And he goes through all the, you know, the flowers and the, this and the birds that don't store away and God takes care of them. And then he comes to, or excuse me, next he says, for this reason that you can't serve both, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, i.e., this is me now, have faith in God's provision, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can you see the thread through there? Now, if you've got a freezer, I think it's okay. It, you know, you could just say, God, I just don't want to go back and forth to the grocery store. I don't, know, I don't know how we explain that. But the point is, from our heart, we have to know that it's his daily manna that keeps us. It's his daily provision that keeps us. It's his every single day provision, every single day provision, every single day provision that keeps us. And if we don't have tomorrow's provision today, it's unbelief if we worry about it. Seriously, I mean, seriously, get yourself in the mindset that that, that lie and devil, that your flesh, that your experience is not going to dictate your faith, that the scripture is going to dictate your faith. And the scripture says that he's trustworthy and you can trust him. And Ben could give you a testimony and Sherry could give you a testimony. And probably all of you could give a testimony about God's faithfulness because of faith. Amen. Okay. Faith is the most precious thing that you could possess. There's nothing more valuable than faith. Faith is what gives you a relationship with God. 
you could take a thousand pounds of gold and two thousand pounds of diamonds, and I don't know if there's anything more valuable than that, and you could all say, God, look at what I've brought you so that you will be my friend, and you can't be his friend with all that stuff. You could be a lot of people's friend. They'd be good friends until the stuff is gone, right? You can't be God's friend with that stuff. It's only by faith that you can be God's friend. It's only by faith that he's going to bring the provision that we talked about. It's only by faith that he's going to bring the healing and the deliverance. It's only by faith that my vigor is going to be returned to my youth. In my eyes, this is a lie. It's, it's, it's my misshapen eyeballs is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's contrary to the truth. And I'm going to be like Moses. I don't know if 120, but if she lives that long, I want to. Um, but I'm telling you, I'm getting my eyes back, my eyes back. God purchased it through his son for me, and I'm going to have my sight. Moses is not special to God more than me. And he went to his grave at 120 years old, and his eyes had not grown dim. Faith, right? I would trade. I mean, I don't need a million pounds of gold. Faith. So here's the scripture, big one this time. It's First Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved, for you in, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Remember James, consider it all joy for the testing of your faith, how important that is. Distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's a future thing he's talking about. So you say, am I saved? I say, yes. Well, why is it a future thing? Because you've got to stay saved. Because you've got to hold on to faith. You have to, you have to not drift away. Remember those scriptures? You have to grasp firmly to the assurance that you had at the beginning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this gospel that I preach to you, that you received, by which you stand, in which you're saved, if you hold fast to the end that which you heard in the beginning. It's a hope and it's a reality. It's a reality and it's a hope. What do we have to maintain? Faith. That would be saving faith. Trusting. Not, not denying Jesus as Lord. Not denying Jesus as the full and complete payment for our sin debt to God. Your faith is more precious than gold. Your faith is being tried and tested because God wants us to make sure that we don't lose it. The testing of our faith develops in us maturity and completion, perseverance, doing the work. Because faith is the most valuable thing that we can have. It's the absolute most valuable thing we can have. And God will be very careful to make sure that we don't lose it by testing it. When we see, ooh, I sound like Denny, ooh. <laughs> can I have your womb? Ooh. Sorry, that was definitely a dory trail. <laughs> he tests it because he loves us, because he doesn't want us to just start the race. He wants us to finish the race and get the prize. Amen. Amen.
And then Hebrews 11, verse 6. If for no other reason, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we believe that he is, right? If we seek after him, guess what we know? We get a reward. I don't know exactly what that is, but I think the reward is him. You get closer to God, that's a reward. You're closer to his glory. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it pleases him. When your cars are both busted, when your bills are here and the money's not, and you say, God, I trust you. He's like, oh, man, that is, that is just makes his heart warm. It pleases him. Because if not trusting him, then we're saying you, you, you don't have the ability or you don't love me or you brought me out here to die. That, you know, that was the guys in the wilderness. Can you imagine if you're God and somebody challenged you that way? We don't recognize that's what we're doing, but that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, you know, you're not God enough to take care of me. You brought me out here to die. No, 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 no. He brought them out there, and he was blessing them by there was no water there. Give them the opportunity to say, I love you, God. I'm a little thirsty, but I know you're going to provide for us because you said you were going to. Moses, speak to the rock. If ever God tells you to do something like that, do what he says. Aaron, Moses didn't get to go to the promised land because they didn't do what he said the way he said it. Right? First time he said, hit the rock. Second time he said, talk to the rock. Second time he hit the rock twice. And God was gracious. The water came out. But because of that, he said, you didn't treat me as holy in front of the people. You shall not lead these people into the promised land. Because of that, he said, Aaron, you will not take these people into the promised land. And I don't, you know, in front of all the people, he said to Moses, march your brother Aaron on top of the hill or the mountain and strip him. He was in his priestly outfit. Walks him up there in front of all the people, strip him, put it on his son. And then Aaron drops dead. And then he says, Moses, you go up on the mountain so you can see that's where you could have went. At least I'm going to give you the chance to see it. Moses himself didn't get to go because he didn't treat God as holy. He said, but they, they had me frustrated. I hit the rock. I talked to the rock. I mean, you know, it was the rock, but God didn't see it that way. God said, I told you to do this, and you did not treat me as holy. I'll give them the water, but you don't get to go to the promised land. Faith has to be that strong. But what are they? Anyway, Satan. Okay, I'm almost done. This is not something we can be lukewarm about. It's not something we can be casual about. If we're casual about it already, God is not pleased with us being casual about faith. Might still get to go to heaven. I don't know. But we want to please God. We want him to look down, and we want his heart to be warm. We want our faith to be a fragrant aroma. That, that rises up and just blesses him in his throne. It demands that we decide, and doubt and unbelief cannot be named among us. I, I was ready to give her, I, I hope I would have completely choked it back, but honestly, it was in my mind, bad advice about a woman who's struggling with her husband. It was like, I'm not going to say it. So we prayed, she went away, she comes back with, God told me what I'm supposed to do. When Jesus was reviled and all this bad stuff, he didn't do anything bad. I'm going to stand here and be faithful to my covenant that I made with my husband despite how he behaved with me. It just, it wrecks me. That is beautiful. That is so, you know how God smiled when you did that? Because that is faith. 
He didn't say, God but this, God but that. She said, I need a scripture. He gave her a scripture. She said, amen. That's awesome. We have to make a decision. Are we willing? Are we really willing to do this? Because all of our lives, I could just speak for me. I don't know about all your lives, but I've been taught opposite of faith. I mean, I've been taught faith. I could be... I could have faith in beer. I could have faith in a bridge or a car or a medicine or something like that. But this kind of faith, science says it's not real, says these things can't happen. You know, your knees can't get better without surgery, all this kind of stuff. You can't have your youth back. Your eyes are going to stay dim, all that kind of stuff. It, it teaches us against faith. So we have to be willing to deny everything that denies faith, no matter how real it feels to us. <laughs> are we ready to be called crazy? Right? And my, my mom, when we got saved, I said, all I said was born again. And she said, oh, no, I said something. She said, you're not one of those born again Christians, are you? And I'm like, well, I think so. Is it bad? You know, she was, she had an opinion. And I, I mean, the Bible says, unless that you're a born again Christian, you can't be a Christian. <laughs> you're not a Christian without being born again. But what about, you know, what about when the world tells us you're crazy? You're gullible. You believe that stuff. Seriously. Stupid, insane, silly. And it's not going to be just the world. It's going to be the church too, right? Azusa Street, when the, when the revival happened, the big shots from around the world came to shut it down because it wasn't God, except it was God. All these healings and miracles and, and salvations and love, it's like, well, yeah, but you're speaking in tongues, so it's not God, right? God doesn't do that anymore. We're, we, will be, we will be persecuted by the church. But if we're willing, we'll see. That's what the guy says we've been listening to. He says you have to see it. And if you'll see it, then you'll have it. If we see it, if we're willing, we will see it. If we see, then we will glorify God. And if we will show them, then they will see and they will glorify God. Or they won't. But then they've made a decision. But see, if we will, if we'll decide to deny everything that denies faith, then we're going to see what faith provides. Already we have great examples. We have healing miracle examples. When we walk in faith to the level that the scriptures are calling us to, the miracles are going to be off the charts because they're just true. They're just true. And then when we do that, God will be glorified. And in God's being glorified, other people are going to see it. And some are going to, are going to want it, and they're going to come, and it's going to happen for them, and they'll, be glori they'll glorify God, and they're going to do it in the context of the gospel. I mean, some of them might be Christians. Who, who cares? God bought them their healing, right? But the ones that aren't, it's going to come to them packaged in the gospel because those things are for the, for the sake of the gospel as much as they're for the sake of the church. And Jesus will be glorified. And what is it? The lamb will reward, the lamb will receive the reward for his suffering. Every person that dies outside of Christ, he suffered for them, and it was wasted. Every person that gives their life to Jesus in a way that causes them to be reconciled to God edifies his suffering, I guess, you know, um, commends his suffering. It's a payment for his suffering. I mean, this is a dumb question, but is it wise to believe what we see, our experience, 
or by faith that trusts God. Luke 7.35, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. If we choose to believe what God says and deny what experience or world or nature says, then that wisdom will bear children, and that those children will look like people getting healed, people getting delivered, people getting saved. It will look like us being fruitful, and it will look like God getting glory. But faith comes first. We have to demonstrate faith to bring about what God has offered through faith. I really didn't think I was going to take a long time. I have these conversations with Ashley about God. Her perception of God is, is for me, is wackadoodle. And my perception of God comes from the scriptures, right? We're word people. And I was praying for Ashley the other day after one, and she got frustrated with me, Daddy, I don't want to talk about that anymore. But I'm like, honey, you got to know because you're deceived, and you got to know the truth. And I was praying, I'm like, Lord, I don't know. And, and I had this impression that said, the difference between me and Ashley is I recognize the authority of the scriptures. She doesn't. She grew up in a place where people talked about Jesus and you know, there was a certain form of religion. So she was familiar with Jesus, but she was not at all familiar with the scriptures. So all that she's come to know has come from her observation and <laughs> All of that I tell her is wrong, pretty much. But mine comes from the scriptures. And what the Lord was showing me is she doesn't recognize the authority of the scriptures. So the scriptures say this, but Jesus can be whoever she wants him to be. Because the scriptures are not part of her process of processing Jesus. And I'm like, dang, that's a tough one. You know, honestly, I'm thinking maybe the way to Ashley is going to be through her boyfriend. I don't know. But we have to decide that we agree with the authority of the scripture, right? Everything that I've said to you wasn't my opinion. I'm just reading you what the Bible says. When it says that God will restore your youth like an eagle, amen. It's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says. Well, if we say, well, I have, in, in all of humanity, I've never heard that happen to anybody. I'm like, I'll be first, right? Seriously. And she'll be second, right? Sorry, you know, the line's going to get long quick. You better get in there. But the point is, what's true? Is it true that people get old and their, and their vigor disappears and their eyes grow dim? Absolutely true for everybody, right? But what's truth? doesn't have to be that way. Why? Because God said so. So I can stand in front of the mirror, not that pleasant experience, and believe what I see, or I can stand in front of the mirror and say, wow, I see it, Lord, because your word says so. But we have to decide that we agree with what Scripture says, that the authority of Scripture, the word of God, stands above everything. What does a scientist say? I don't care what the scientist says. What does experience say? I don't care what experience says. What about a million times this happened and never that happened? It's got to be a first time. Somebody's got to believe. Sad none of those people believed. The Scripture is the authority we stand by. That's where our faith is at. And God stands by his word. You know how I know? Not by blind faith, just trusting it. I know because we also have testimony. All through the scriptures we have testimony. All through our lives we have testimony. But a little bit we believe. What if we believe at all? all? We sing the song. What's the words? All God's promises are yes and amen. Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. 
Okay. So I already blew this part. The Psalms 103, you heard it. The Deuteronomy 34 about Moses, you heard it. So here's my admonition to you. Prepare the soil of your hearts. Remember the soil, the seed, right? I just, I just threw a, a load of seed into your soil. Your soil's got to be good or it's not going to take. It won't produce any fruit. So, so you have to start to produce in yourself good soil. Prepare yourself with a soil that's hard. You've got to take, well, really, I think probably the Lord does, but you've got to get involved with him. Father God, man, if any of that word has bounced off of my soil, of my heart, like it was a sidewalk, I'm asking you, Lord, to take, take a jackhammer and bust that dirt off. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Lord, if there's rocks in there that might hinder that, that seed from really taking root in there, Lord, please, I ask that you take the rocks out of the soil of my heart. And Father, if there are weeds and thorns and bushes and things in there that are going to choke that seed, if the cares of the world or the desire for riches are in there and they're going to choke the truth of that word being manifest in my life, Lord, I pray to you that you take them away. That's pruning, right? Uh, John 15, he prunes, he prunes, he prunes, he prunes, so that more fruit can come, so that the truth can be manifest in your life. That's what that looks like. And, and now is the time. Read the scriptures, read the healings, read all that stuff, and ponder it, and meditate on it, and declare it to be true. Declare it to be true, it happened then. Declare it to be true, it's going to happen now. Declare it to be true, it's going to happen to you, it's going to happen through you. And, and just start to feed yourself. Jesus said, my flesh is true food and my, and my blood is true drink. He that eats of me and drinks of me will have a part in me. He who doesn't will not have a part in me. So we have to start to dine on this and see it for what it is. When you read, listen to this. I didn't read it to you. Listen to Psalm 103, just a little bit. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, we believe that one, who heals all your diseases, we struggle with that a little bit maybe, who redeems your life from the pit, we're pretty good with that one, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, probably, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Let's just choose to believe him. David Wilkerson, some of, he's, he's with the Lord now, but he was a passionate guy, especially at the end of his life. You listen to David Wilkerson preach, and he's like, he's broken that you won't hear God's voice and respond to it. I mean, just tears and not screaming, but not like angry screaming, just just screaming. And, and he said this with regard to faith and committing yourself to a life of faith. He said, this is him speaking now. I, I would probably agree with him. So you could say it's me, but I'm just parroting him. Don't tell me you're making a commitment to faith unless you also make a commitment to these three. Number one, a commitment to the book. Number two, a commitment to your knees. Now, that's not that mine will get healed. You know what that means. It's a commitment to prayer, right? That you're going to humble yourself before God and pray. And third, that you commit to believe the love of God for you. All three of those, David Wilkerson says, are necessary. You've got to believe that God loves you. You've got to believe he wants to use you. You've got to believe that, that he wants for you only good things. You have to be committed to know his word so you know what's true. You have to be committed to meeting him on your knees. And then the final scripture, and this is just an admonition. Luke 18, verse 8, the, the B part, the second half. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Can we say yes?
Yes. Amen. Okay. I'm done now. I like to maybe we'll we'll take the offering and and just pray a minute and then we'll worship. I thank you. Honestly, I thank you that you guys are a church that's not like again, I feel like I'm jamming up other churches. Forgive me, Lord, but this isn't a game. It's real. Your kids are back there for two or three hours. You're in here and 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 it's real because because God is, I'm, I keep saying this, but you got to hear me. God is looking for some place to land that will actually take him, that will see what he says and will believe it, that he can rise up like a city on a hill, a humble people that won't steal his glory, but that, that want to do the things that are necessary, that he would be glorified because we love Jesus and we want him to get the reward of his suffering. And it demands surrender. It demands faith. It demands that we can't have the possession of doubt or unbelief or reputation or any of those things. And I just praise God for you that there's a place. I mean, in the third world country and, you know, rural Mexico and things like that, they have church all day long. We're not that big a hero because we spend two and a half or three hours here. But in our culture, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Churches will have three services and we'll still be doing our first one, right? And, and, and I'm not trying to say we're so wonderful, but honestly, I believe it's what it's going to take that we're that surrendered, that we want God that badly, that we're willing to sit and, and be discipled and minister to one another and praise him. And the clock is not our God. God is our God. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you. And I just declare that, that your will shall be done, that we shall be people who walk by faith, however challenging, however isolating, however whatever, Lord, that we will take your word we will study your word. It's, he, he said, I might have told you this, in Psalm 23 at the end it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I heard that while I was reading my Bible one morning. I'm like, Lord, you're feeding me this word right now. Your scriptures are the most awesome nourishment in this whole earth. And you're making those demons sit and watch me dine on the feast that you've prepared for me that's sitting right here in your word. And I'm going to eat this thing and I'm going to be nourished by it. I'm going to be transformed by it. I'm going to be built up and strengthened and encouraged by it. I'm going to use it to do the same with other people. And the demons got to sit and watch. Every one of my enemies got to watch me get fat on your word, Lord. I praise you for that. I thank you that you've given us the word that we can dine on. It is awesome. It's always fresh. It's manna from heaven, God. You are an awesome God, and you are so deserving of our praise. You're so deserving of our adoration and our gratitude. And we will give it to you, God. And we'll give it to you in the name of faith. If your word says so, we're going to believe it. If our experience says different, we'll keep believing it, Lord. And we shall be a place where you can land. We shall be a place where you can be demonstrated who you are to a world that needs to know you, God. Isaiah said, send me. We say use us.